Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson, in studio here with my partner, Adam Hanson. And also, we're visited by our, our special guest speaker today, Thomas Sparks. He is an attorney serving in the U.S. Uh, Navy. Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do I need to redo that? Or are you, are you going to get beat up when you get back to the barracks? No, no, no. no? My brother's in blue. That's fine. Okay. Department of the Navy is all good. All right. Sorry about that. And uh, so he is in the Marine Corps and uh, serving as an attorney in that capacity. Would you call that the JAG? Yes. So, um, and you've been doing that for how many years? Uh, just about three years now. Okay. And we've got Cody Beeson, of course, running the boards and uh, contributing as needed to keep us on track. Good morning. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about um, a couple of topics that are should be front and center, I think, of every headline out there, but we're not seeing them as much. At least we're not seeing it, the full discussion on each of these topics. And, and one is... Um, chat GPT and AI, open AI. And the other is the um, CBDC or the central bank digital currency. Those two things together um, could make life a lot easier and, and could be to us what the internet was to our 20 year old selves 20 years ago. You know, it just opened the world up to us and made life so much easier and and more convenient, made goods and services all that more, much more available. Um, Or they could be the, the, um, the final issue that takes us down the path toward Armageddon. And, and that's scary. So Let's talk about what these two things are first and then get into the pros and cons. Um, let's, let's talk about OpenAI and ChatGPT. So it's this artificial intelligence. I don't know exactly how it works. Of course, probably only the people that invented it really understand how it works. And even at that point, it becomes very, very difficult to explain. But um, it's intelligence that c- can search the internet and search all the vast amounts of information out there and look for relevant portions of it and put it together in a way that sounds as if a very intelligent human is actually compiling the information that is some type of savant and putting it together in in a compelling argument. And so the argument, you could put in any prompt and it'll create an essay or it'll create a thesis or it'll create an analysis Adam, I know he's used it to create a market analysis for property that he was interested in purchasing. So it's incredibly powerful to uh, determine what we need to know about any type of subject out there and not only give us the raw information that's been there for a long time with, with Google and Yahoo and, and other search engines, but it puts together it, that information together in a compelling argument. And the scary thing about that is the argumentative portion of it it's beyond research like it's one thing to just type in a prompt and and get some research for you kind of help in that regard but now it's, it's kind of delivering the result for you yes yeah as if 
there's an opinion built into it. It's almost as if they've found a way to give the computers emotion. And, of course, the opinion is programmed. And the opinion cannot be completely objective because what is objective out there, right? What is truth? Um, We've run into that with all these censorship issues that we've come into lately. And there's one end of the the gamut that people don't want any censorship. They want freedom of speech completely. And then there's the other end that anything that could be seen as harmful or hurtful speech should be censored. And then anything that could be um, misinformation also should be censored as well. Well, this has to determine all that it, all of that as well. So it, it's going into um, this this atmosphere of information where we no longer value freedom of speech higher than emotional um, sensitivity, and so it has to thread that gap and. When it's doing that, it's got to determine what is politically correct speech. Because I've typed in several prompts. I haven't used it a ton. Adam's used it more than I have. Adam, have you ever come up with um, an essay or analysis using chat GPT that uh, used um, what you would consider either racist speech or politi- even politically incorrect speech? So it's very... Um in my test studies, it's been, I told you at the very beginning, this is probably three months ago, where I was tinkering around with it. I was looking for content that was going to be political in nature, but also I was just looking for relevant content. Actually, I was kind of curious to see what it would give me regarding two different presidencies. And so I asked it some information about how the Biden administration has negatively impacted the... Um, oh man, what was it? The economy or inflation? It wasn't inflation. It was more, oh, it was like farm, farming. I think it was farming or something to do with that, that, uh, that realm of, of Department of Agriculture. And the prompt that came back was something like, I'm an AI program and I can't promulgate, uh, misinformation. And the Biden administration has been very proactive at, you know, making it better and things like that. It, it, it Gave me some response as... Very positive about the Biden administration. Yeah. So I, I used that same prompt. So basically what, it, I, what I remember was that the very first paragraph was just like a chastisement, like how dare you use those things together with the Biden administration. That's what I felt. Yeah, how dare like, you use this power for evil? Like we know what you're doing. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And by the way, your name's been added to the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have your IP address. Yeah. yeah. I did it at work, so it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Your name's on the building. And the FBI. So anyway, that. yeah, I uh, the second the second prompt that I put together was the exact same thing I'd asked it. I just swapped the Biden administration for the Trump administration, and it didn't chastise me for that one. That one, it said that the Trump administration was uh, responsible for um, basically killing the agriculture realm of our food networks and things like that. Um, and so I was just kind of taken aback and I thought to myself, well, I don't know where it's getting its information. If it's getting it from the internet, then that's an, uh, that's a problem because it's already been shown that statistically you're going to find more negative 
um, information about the Trump administration than you are about the Biden administration. And so if the AI program is using that as its source, it's a biased source. And therefore, the information that's actually delivering to us and working off of is premised incorrectly, um, you could argue, and therefore it's going to give you incorrect information out. So it's incorrect information in, inc incorrect information out. And that That's what I came up with was the conclusion that the AI is only as good as the information you give it. I mean, you can give it information like, um, you know, write an essay about cats. And it's going to write an essay about cats. But if you're very specific, and that's why when people are talking about um, it replacing other individuals in, in their employment, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about that, especially in the in the legal realm, there's always a need for a human element in, in lawyering, and we've seen that over time. Even even with LegalZoom coming into the picture a decade ago, we still have not become irrelevant, and I don't think we will because of what I've experienced when playing around with AI. It's only as good as the information you give it, and what I mean by that is as a lawyer, we know certain terms of art that we need we know issues that we need to look for. And because I know those issues, I can give that information to the AI program and have it spit out appropriate things for that relevant subject matter, or that matter as a whole. But if I don't know those elements in the beginning, then I'm not going to get a very good response out. So the, the average lay person that doesn't understand or know from experience these legal issues, the ins and outs of them, they wouldn't be asking the right questions essentially is what it comes out to. Right. And so the information coming out is going to be very general and vague and, and not do them any good. It's like a doctor who has, you know, worked in, let's say, uh, the field of, of heart surgery for his whole life. And he sees all the signs and symptoms of somebody who is experiencing congestive heart failure. He can see beyond what the computers are reading back as far as the tests what that patient may need and and he can ask other relevant questions as to diet exercise and and beyond that to hone down what's going to be beneficial for the patient and then when he's actually in there he of course we we've got computers that that do surgeries but we need the doctors to look and to use their their discretion and their judgment at the time of actually participating in the surgery um, and I, I think that medicine has only been enhanced by artificial intelligence or even the, the wealth of information that's out there and, and machines in general participating in surgery rather than replacing them. It shows how much more we need higher levels of expertise to understand the issues and to address more issues that are actually now solvable that before we were just like writing them off because this wasn't something that we could treat. Now they are treatable. And it's the same thing in the legal field. Um, I think LegalZoom has brought to the forefront the concept of the need for estate planning. And so more people are going out there and they're getting wills and a power of attorney. And when they start to get in, I get a lot of clients that come in that started with either um, a self-help book or a radio show program that they learned about this and the need for um, additional planning, and, and they started it on their own, and then they came into me and, and started doing it. I don't think that TurboTax has um, probably put any accountants out of work. The, the accountants, the need for those who have more complicated tax issues are still there. And I, I feel the same thing for 
the legal field. When people get into it and they start getting all those questions asked, then it's quickly easy to understand that we don't have to make the argument anymore of how important it is to ask the right questions. And uh, that just feeds into what we're doing. Now, I don't say that to levy a defense um, for what I do and advocate for people to continue to, to use my services. Um, I, I say that just because I, I see that as reality. But let, let's talk about the pros and cons. You know, Elon Musk was one of the early founders and inventors of this open AI. And um, he had an interview recently with Tucker Carlson, it was just last week, about the pros and cons of AI. And uh, Tucker Carlson said, well, what, what are some of the cons that could happen? And he said, well, it, it could be significant. And he said, okay, well, how significant? And he goes, well, think about if there were no um, or if there were poor standards for automotive safety, the construction of um, cars, and um, the safety for the construction of airlines, if that were to be corrupted because of AI, think of all the harm that could happen from there. And um, then you, you start to get the tip of the iceberg. And he said, he said that's not even close to what could happen. If, if AI was um, programmed initially to create harm, to create havoc, then it could continually, autonomously begin to create havoc on um, currency. It could create havoc on um, electrical grids. It could create havoc in messaging we know that uh, AI has, or not AI in general, but um, just computers and, and simulation has the ability to make somebody look as if they're delivering a message, and uh, it's completely artificial. That it's a it's synthesized type of message, and so you could have a world leader out there being published saying, hey, we're going to now declare war on China because of its aggressive actions against Taiwan and, uh, and have Joe Biden saying that when he actually didn't say that but have it broadcast to the world and have it so authentic looking and have the computer generate that, that what kind of backlash are you going to have? Or have some type of signal pop up that uh, a nuclear missile has been launched and now whatever country that it's been launched against has to initiate its defense systems. I, it gets bad real quick. Well, we messed up when, when that happened in Hawaii a couple years ago. Remember, there was a, a text message that went out that, you know, missiles are incoming. Like, yes. What if that happened to another country? And I forgot what that was. It birds that w that were coming instead that they, they misinterpreted for missiles. But, they, that, but yeah, th that was announced over the public broadcast that that there was an imminent attack, that missiles were incoming, and to shelter in place. We've got to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust 
and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. This is 560 AM KBLU, and we're in the studio today with uh, Tom Sparks. He's one of our good friends, and we've got Sean Garner, my partner, and then we've got, of course, the infamous Mr. Cody Beeson, who um, is a part-time comedian. Is that right? I don't know about that. Yeah. You don't have any jokes today for us? Uh, n- nothing off the top of my head. He's a full-time comedian. He's just part-time funny. Oh, oh. oh, there you go. A, oh that's a funny <laughs> oh, right there. I'll take it. Well, I, I'm really interested to see what uh, Tom has to say about these issues. We've been talking heavily about AI and its infiltration in the last two months into our society. And maybe you're aware of it, maybe you're not. I mean, I've been tinkering around with it. I know, Sean, you have too as well. I don't know, Tom, if you've been playing around with it or not, but... Uh, one of my biggest fears here is that um, we go towards a a society that's more like the old movie, The Minority Report, with Tom Cruise. You might have remembered that movie. And in that movie, they were prosecuting pre-crime. So, Tom, you work in the Marine Corps as a uh, JAGA officer, right? That means that you get to prosecute Marines that break the law. Um, what law are you using to prosecute them because it's different than Sean and and me and Cody driving around on the city streets here, right? When you're on the base or you're on federal property, what law, what body of law do you use to prosecute? Yeah. So the, the law that the armed services use and the Marine Corps is part of that. We use the uniform code of military justice. That's abbreviated UCMJ. If you hear that phrase, that's what they're talking about. And then it's, it's a little bit different than civilian law in, in that, we have constitutional protections, and that does apply to military as well. But because the military has this heightened need to be prepared and mission ready, some of those protections are um, curtailed. Like much like you'd see, like in the Supreme Court precedent of um, in loco parentis, when you talk about kids at school, where maybe some of their rights are curtailed as well. In a similar vein, the military also has that same kind of curtailment. So, yeah, it, it can become a sticking point. Like for attorneys, especially when you go to law school and you're taught like, hey, we have these constitutional rights, but then you're taught that, hey, sometimes the national security and the mission like take precedent over an individual right. And while that may not be a perfect system, that is the system that ultimately wins wars and it um, keeps the peace in the military and it does good for our country so far. When you sign up to go into the Marine Corps, for example, do you do you sign away some of those things? You sign something saying, "Hey, I recognize that I'm going to be under this strict legal body of law that's a little different. I might not have 
the same fundamental rights that we would as normal normal citizens, or is it just you're signing a document saying I'm entering for four years? Yeah. So from my experience, it was just entry level documents. And as you go in, you learn about the Marine Corps. For me, the Marine Corps orders that govern this service. And then there's general orders, there's specific orders. If it's a general order, you're responsible for knowing. So there's no defense of, I didn't know that that was an order. Like you need to be aware of those things. And then specific orders, you do need to prove that, you know, I I was cognizant of that order and that, uh, I, I violated it of my own free will and my, you know, my mind was focused on that. But so it, it's, there's no general document saying this is what I give up. But as you enter the service, you have ample, ample guidance and opportunity um, to uh, understand what you need to be doing. So when you're, when you're doing prosecutions um, towards these Marines, what do you use to bolster your case if you're going to actually prosecute? Yeah, so I think similarly to civilian uh, prosecution, you'd have extenuating circumstances and mitigating evidence. So first, you've got to prove that a crime was committed, like the prima facie of a UCMJ violation, much like, let's say, assault, something that most people are familiar with. If there's a prima facie and you can prove that, hey, this happened, well, now we need to look at defenses. As we go through defenses, was it in self-defense, for example, or are there... Was there no excuse? Was it in defense of others? And then if no excuse, well, then you're guilty. And now as you go through sentencing, much in the civilian world, a judge will listen to, okay, well, what was the extenuating circumstances of why you should be treated differently than somebody else? Or what, um, what mitigating character evidence do you have to show that, hey, this was a one-off rather than a pattern of misconduct? What would, in your mind, elevate a level of a person's behavior such that you would want to kind of surround that individual or intercede prior to that person committing an act. Could you ever see that happening? For example, you might get intelligence saying that this particular Marine is um, building his own uh, rifles in his own barracks or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, people have seen him do that. And he's been talking really weirdly. You know, he's got these views that maybe are a little out there, out of uh, mainstream. And he's talking about um, maybe potentially harming people mm-hmm. that uh, he holds a grudge against. What would you think we should do about that, if anything? Do we let an act happen before you react and prosecute? Or do you jump in ahead of time? And what would that look like? Yeah, so from my view we have a pretty good system that already is in place for this and it exists outside inside the military It's the probable cause standard. So if you have somebody, we have witnesses and we have evidence that a crime is being committed. So let's say in the military, for example, you've got somebody who is, you know, building an enlisted Marine building weapons in the barracks, which would be, you know, bad to go. You, you can't, that's against a Marine Corps order, right? So they're in violation of the UCMJ by building those weapons. Now, if someone has a thought to build something, well, I mean, right now, as it stands, probable cause doesn't extend to thinking about doing something. But if you are in act of committing the crime and we can have this probable cause standard met to go and just check things out, well, then you know, that's a good check. It's it's a quite a bit of a higher standard than minority report where, you know, we have 
you know, future crime and people who maybe even haven't even had the thought yet, but they will have the thought. Um, you know, that that doesn't exist, at least in the military at this time. And I hope it I hope it doesn't, in my opinion. I think that while there's a there's a a precious balance that needs to be obtained of a commander's ability to make sure that their command is mission ready and capable and ready to fight the nation's wars. Um, the individual is the one who wins those wars and the individual when their rights are being tread on um, are not as mission ready and mission capable as they would if they're, in my opinion, if their rights are being respected. So I, I like that we still have those standards while they it may be diminished, it, they're not gone. And um, I'm happy about that personally. One of my fears is that we use AI, or not necessarily us, but you're talking about corporations really that are going to implement this or have implemented it, Google, Microsoft, to name a couple. And I imagine that Verizon would jump in there. I'm sure some other ISPs that provide our internet services would probably jump in here, you know, as well. Um, Time Warner, a big one, um, or Spectrum now. And so if they start using this AI program, it's very... In my mind, it's it's not that far of a st- step or a leap to say, well, if they've got AI controlling most of what's going on in the background, they can see our tendencies much like a target. When I go to Target and I shop, it's tracking what I'm shopping for, and it knows my tendencies over time. And Target has been shown and has made articles over over the last few years about how using um, their shopper data, oftentimes they'll be able to predict what's going to happen in a person's life. For example, they can predict that a woman is pregnant before she even knows it because of her buying habits at Target. And so an AI program that is intelligent enough to put that all together and use those metrics, what's to say that it doesn't use our GPS location on our phones, our internet browsing history to start building a case against us and throw off flags such that now you have probable cause to raid somebody's house against the Fourth or the Fifth Amendment and uh, why? Because the AI, the AI says, well, they're, they've got these tendencies. We need to get in there before they harm somebody else. Where is that line? You know, and is that a violation of my, my freedoms in the very first place of tracking my data? Yeah, I, I mean, personally, I think it would be a violation. So the, the way I see that the AI space, some of the limitations is whenever it's drawing a conclusion for me personally, that is a step too far. Um, Cause all it is is raw ones and zeros. If you break it down at the end of the day, and when you draw conclusions, you're using an analysis and a true analysis is something you know that takes critical thinking. It's not just a mass of previous yeses and nos. And well, we got yes more times in the past than no. So this must be the right answer. Well, in a, in, in a circumstance that looks like that, that is the, still the correct answer. But if we tweak the scenario slightly, that yes may turn into a no, and AI may not be able to capture that. So, you know, when if you would have had Chat GPT, let's say, you know, many centuries ago, let's t- talk about you know uh, Copernicus, in when his leading theory was, hey, the this, the Earth is not the center of the universe, and he got a lot of flack for that, almost died for it. ChatGPT back then, I'm sure, would have told him that the Earth was the center of the universe because that's all the data that it had to go off of until it was objectively proven that that's not the case. So I, I think it'd be a little bit pompous to say that today we have all the yeses and nos ironed out and it's safe 
for ChatGPT to go in and gather all of those when we, you know, we are just slightly ahead of the world centuries ago, at least scientifically. So your argument is, uh, well, what I hear you to say is that AI is a great helper or it's a great source to kind of go to for um, some information, but it's not reliable yet is what I probably would gather from what you're, you're arguing. And I, I would, I would join that argument because in my own personal use of it, the examples that I've done, I've entered in certain queries and things like that multiple times and it'll give me a, a little tweak on it every time. It's not exactly perfect yet, but as it ga- gathers data, then it in theory becomes more and more intelligent mm-hmm. until it reaches a level of super intelligence where we cannot control that, you know, and it's, it's thinking faster than thinking. I use that word broadly. It's computing, you know, exponentially quicker than our human minds can, and so it's already outthought us in a certain in a certain way. If that makes any sense. So if we're a lot of what we do in our daily lives is strategic. You know, I take a shower so I smell good, and people aren't aren't, aren't going to be around me and. Um, are the the people that are going to be around me aren't going to like keep their distance and they're going to be um, more apt to be closer to me so I can talk to them. I uh, put fuel in my truck so I can drive to work. So I have strategic things that I do throughout my day. I eat, I drink, things like that. But on the, on the world scale or even on, on our local scale, if there's a conflict, I mean, Oftentimes it's a chess match and it's one of strategic analysis. If I'm going to go to work and I'm going to work on a case, I might have to put together, I have to think out what would happen if I do this, 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 and this, what would, what would happen? So I have to think of all these different avenues and what's the potential consequences of those choices. And then I have to think what is the other side going to do or how are they going to react? So it's a chess game in reality. And so you're pay- playing this big game of chess. When I talk about AI, that's my biggest fear is that if we're in this big game of chess and it ultimately comes down to us trying to control it, it's already outthought us like 50 million times before we've thought of a solution. And uh, that's what's scary to me. And especially if it's tied into electronic means such that it can like wipe out your bank account or shut down your electricity or do something if it thinks you're a threat. Yeah, we have to take a break, but let's come back and talk about that. Um, we're on the fringe of coming out with um, an app. It's called FedNow, which is going to promote uh, the central bank digital currency. So we'll come back and talk about that a little bit. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free 
personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm here with uh, my partner, Adam Hanson, and our guest speaker, Thomas Sparks, as well as uh, Cody Beeson. And uh, we're talking about AI and the pros and cons about it. It's fantastic because if you want to know uh, a, a concise, compelling argument about any issue, whether it's the value of a property or whether it's um, what happened in a particular battle in World War II. You could put that prompt in there and it will put together a very well-written essay about that. Uh, the problem is if, if there's misinformation in the the web that it's gathering information from, then you're going to get misinformation out of it. Although I don't know how that's any different than us gathering that misinformation from the web. Um, it's got a much quicker and uh, broader base to to gather the information from than we would be able to process on our own over even days, weeks, possibly months to put that together. And it's it's grammatically correct. I mean, it sounds wonderful. When you read the sentences and they don't sound like some computer-generated um, very dry source material. It's, it's, it's very compelling information, and that's the thing that I think sets it apart, that it, it can produce argumentative discussions that compel what is right and what is wrong. And uh, that is one thing. So, for example, let's say that uh, you got voters out there that want to be informed on who to vote for on the next ballot. And they type in individuals' names, and the, the people that are um, in charge or, or own tech have pumped full the Internet a lot more information that's positive about one candidate and negative about another candidate. Well, you're going to get a compelling argument against a certain candidate, and that's going to influence your vote. That's going to influence the election, and essentially democracy is in the hands of AI. That's, that's some big issues that I see with this. We've already seen how um, big tech has played a role in our elections where you have information censored. We know that uh, you know, the Biden laptop, you bring that up, that was absolutely censored. If you want to you know, look at the elephant in the room, that was information that most people felt was relevant that was censored by big tech. Now multiply that by 100 times, and any information about a candidate, whether it's good or bad, could be um, magnified to the potential voter, and that's going to influence the elections. And I think that that's, that, that's a very scary concept. So how do you then protect yourself against being influenced um, against your will or, or with information that is inaccurate? How would you possibly combat against that? I'm assuming you don't use a federal app, right? That's not this FedNow solution? That you're no, talking. right. I know if that's, that's so, the goal here. So, so couple that with FedNow. FedNow is, is, is totally different. Okay. So FedNow is an app that is going to allow people to exchange currency um, kind of like Apple Pay or Venmo or Zelle. Wait, PayPal, they, the Fed and government invented PayPal again? 
like 30 years later. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's, it's, uh, the irony of this is initially um, the federal government would not get involved in anything that could be done by the private sector. Now, what were things that the federal government did get involved in that um, we needed to, to, to help society in general? The post office. Defense. Right? Defense yeah. of the nation. Um, so you, you take those two things and you look at the post office now, and I think there could be a good argument that it's antiquated, that um, we have the private sector that does a better, cheaper, more efficient job at getting information from one party to the next or packages from one person to the next, right? We've got all of these competitors out there and they're doing a better job and they're not actually taking tax dollars to do it. They're making a profit on their own and they're earning their investors money and dividends back on, on the investment that they invest in the stock of the company. So why do we even have the federal government competing anymore in the post office? And, and we know the answer that's the, when, when the federal government gets entrenched in anything, it, it's going to be very, very difficult to get it out. Um, right now, we've already got these apps that allow people to transfer money back and forth, buy and sell things. And uh, the more popular ones are, are very open and on the market and used by everyday people. They're, they're not really controversial. Like there's a dark web that that's a controversial way of, of, of buying and selling goods and services. And, and then you got Bitcoin, and that was a way to use the dark web to buy and sell those services. And that could be used for very nefarious means. And you, you could, you know, I, I guess run a prostitution ring on the dark web. And because it's so anonymous and so hard to track, then um, that could be perpetuating criminal activity, and, and that would be a bad thing. And so at some level, we want light on the transactions that are occurring in our society. But at, at another level, we want freedom to do what we want. And I would say that's, that's the highest level. We want that to be the first and foremost um, indicator as to whether or not something that we're doing is right or wrong is, does it impede on our freedom? And is the antidote to it or is the... It, is the consequence of doing it so bad that we need to restrict an individual's freedom. And it's got to be really, really bad. In my opinion, it's got to be people are dying and society is going downhill in, in a hurry in order to restrict anybody's freedom on, on, on any level. But um, So we've got these, these forms of transferring money back and forth. And um, we've got Bitcoin, which is digital currency. Now, um, right now, the Biden administration is really pushing for the central bank to come out with digital currency. A lot of countries are doing this. This is not something that we're inventing. Um, we're, if, you, if you look at it, we're, we're a bit behind the curve. There's other countries that have done this and are doing this. Um, that, to me, doesn't mean a whole lot because a lot of countries don't value freedom the same, they, same way we do. A lot of countries have totalitarian regimes and uh, they function that way, and, and I look at them, and, and I feel sorry for those individuals that don't have the type of freedoms that we have. Um, China is one example. North Korea is another example. You've got uh, all of these countries that, that have these powerful leaders, and they can implement these policies, 
pretty quickly, but it doesn't mean just because they can do it quickly and efficiently on the government level, it's a good thing. In fact, generally, that's a bad thing. And so why would the federal government want to implement digital currency? What are the pros of it? Well, it would allow for the transfer of currency. Their argument is um, the currency would be absolutely digital. And, And currently, right now, the currency is still cash money sitting in a bank. It, it, it actually is digitally sitting in the bank, but it, it's tied to cash money. And so when the transfer occurs, the banks have to communicate that, yes, the individual transferring the funds did have the funds to be transferred out of their bank account before they could actually be deposited into the seller's account. And so it takes a little bit longer. But all of us who have used any of those apps know it's still pretty darn quick. I mean, how much quicker do we need it to be if it happens over five seconds as opposed to one second? Is is that worth the government getting involved in this? And are we that convinced that the government's going to make it more efficient and uh, more transparent? Um, so that's the government's argument that it would be more efficient to transfer funds. Now, another argument is that uh, the economy is extremely complex, and when we're going through... Um, the ebbs and flows of inflation, the government has these knobs that they turn to curb inflation. So when inflation starts to go up, they start to hike the interest rates to slow the flow of money in in the economy. And uh, when there's not enough spending and and GDP isn't growing as fast as they want, then uh, they lower the interest rates and then the money flows more freely. And so they've got those types of knobs, and um, they can also print money. I mean, the federal government, is, the Federal Reserve is the only authorized agency that is authorized to actually print money, and, and that creates inflation and um, puts more money into the economy. So um, how is the government doing with that in the past uh, two or three years? Uh, let's look. Just, we, we don't even have to have a degree in uh, U.S. economic history. We just look back two years, and and the government's been heavily involved in the monetary system, and we've been on an absolute roller coaster. We've seen goods and services skyrocket. I know that they say that uh, inflation is only between 5 and 8% year over year, but um, I'm looking at cars, boats, groceries, ATVs, um, any types of goods and services out there. I went and bought a burrito the other day at Chipotle. I used to spend um, seven bucks on a burrito. Um, I got my receipt; it was over twenty bucks. Good thing you're not trying to buy a truck. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so the inflation has gone absolutely out of control, and so the government has has played a large part in that. Now, a lot of people will just say, well, COVID, right? COVID is our scapegoat. That is the reason that everything's gone out of control. It's not the government's fault. In fact, had the government not gotten involved, it would have been 10 times worse. I absolutely disagree. I disagree with that on on many different levels. But I think that pouring more money into an economy that has a shortage of goods and services and is flush full of cash already is not a good thing. That's going to continue inflation. And and um, so the Inflation Reduction Act was supposed to 
well, by the, by the term of the, the actual title of the act, reduce the amount of inflation that was out there. And, they, and, and their solution was pour more money into the economy that's already flush with cash. So anyway, I don't think the government is the best source to look to to make sure that um, our economic policies are, are going to be running smoothly and, and we have a, a viable economy in the future. I think that it's best left in private hands with Capitalism. Capitalism has been the most efficient way to spread wealth among the biggest population or the, or the largest amount of people than any other economic vehicle or policy. And so it's worked well. And what is capitalism? What is the, the base definition of capitalism? It's private ownership of the means of production. That is what capitalism is. And so when you transfer that ownership into the government hands, you lose efficiency. And the reason why is because a thousand mines, regardless of how mediocre they may be, are more efficient than ten mines. And that's what capitalism is. It's a thousand minds competing for the best and most efficient way to provide a good or service, as opposed to um, allowing... Or, or transferring all of that power and influence to 10 minds in the government to provide the policies for providing those same goods and services. There you go. <laughs> That's it for today. And we'll talk to you next Monday. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.